what the disciples and the apostles are doing there in the first chapter. Uh, before I begin all that, I want to open up with prayer. But before I open up with prayer, I want to warn all of you that at the end of this service, I will be concluding by, by ending with prayer, but I will also be asking individuals to join me in that prayer. And I'll give you, the, I'll give you a heads up of what that we're going to be praying for. We're going to be praying for discernment. We're going to be praying for unity. We're going to be praying for devotion to prayer. And we're going to be praying for a desire to read and understand God's word. So if you could be thinking about those things during, during this sermon, if you could be thinking about those things, and if at the end of this sermon when I call for individuals to pray about those things, if you would just raise your hand, you can stand where you are, and just and pray that prayer, I would really, really appreciate that. Um, but let me, let me start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. Father God, I ask for your blessing, for your indwelling of your spirit, so that my words would glorify your name, so that uh, the hearts that are here, that are open to your word, would receive it and would be transformed, Lord. Uh, transformed into the image of your Son, into the body of Christ, so that we may so that we may bring the love and the joy and the peace that comes with all of that and share that with this community, with this neighborhood, uh, with, with this church. Lord, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen? Amen. So this morning we are in Acts chapter 1 and we're discussing verses 12 through 26. And we had already read that this morning. Uh, I'm going to very quickly... Just kind of recap on that. Uh, so let's look at Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. And if you recall, the last time I preached, which was a while ago, it was probably a month, if not longer, the last time I preached, I talked about how the Acts really served two purposes. The first is that it's a historical account of what happened to uh, the, the early church, the disciples and the apostles in the early church. And the second is, it's, it's almost like a how-to manual. A how-to manual of how we're to do this thing called church. And we're going to look at that, and we're going to look at what happens in these verses here and, and see our first example, our first, uh, our first example of, of, of how church is to do the things the church needs to do. And, and, and by looking at that example, we, we get, can gain some principles uh, of, of how we are to move forward. So let me just read here. It says, um, and I'm reading from the uh, New King James. It says here, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room, where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord or, in, or with one mind in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples Altogether, the number of names was about 
120 and said, Men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled. The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased the field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his entrails gushed out. Isn't that a lovely picture? And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language, Akel Dama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness, must become a witness, with us of his resurrection. And they proposed to Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Amen? Amen. As I mentioned earlier, the book of Acts is, is much like a how-to manual. And in this instance here, we see how the church is to make decisions. This, the, the scripture gives us an indication of how the church is to make decisions. I mean, we could, we could kind of figure out, well, do we, do we choose things willy-nilly? Do we just, you know, whatever? Do we vote and do it democratically? Or do we just leave it, the things up to the pastor and do whatever I say? Sounds good to me. I don't know about you. Uh, but in this passage, we're given an example of how the early church made important decisions. Real important decisions. And by examining the apostles' actions, the church, the church, the church present, is given clear principles for making, for decision making. Uh, these principles being, a real quick outline is, first, know your limitations. Be of one mind. Prayer. And act according to the scriptures. The first thing we need to see here in, in these scriptures is that uh, they, the, the apostles needed to know the limitations. Clint Eastwood, uh, a famous actor, but he's famous for a lot of his one-liners, and one of my favorites has always been, a man's got to know his limitations. A man's got to know his limitations. So in, so in the same way, a church has to know their limitations. In verse 4 of Acts, Christ gives the disciples a very clear command. So if you, if you go back a couple verses, and you look at chapter 1, verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, 
not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. So the first part of the command was not to depart from Jerusalem. And that's pretty self-explanatory. There's no, you don't really got to think that one through. Okay, don't go anywhere. It's pretty much all that is to that part. It's, It's just don't go, you know, don't depart from Jerusalem. The second part of the command, wait for that, for what the Father has promised. It's a little more fuzzy, a little more unclear. Now, Christ explains that the Father, in, in, in the next few verses, that Christ explains that the Father has promised that the Holy Spirit will come on them and come on them with power. Okay? So, Christ simply did not want them running off to all corners of the earth, because uh, we'll see later that he commands them to, do, to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the corners of the earth. You know, he didn't want them running off, declaring the gospel without having received the Holy Spirit. This tells us several things. It underscores the importance of the Holy Spirit in any ministry, because without the Holy Spirit in our ministry, without his guiding, without his power, we're, we're pretty much useless. It is, the Holy, it is through the Holy Spirit that we as a church can move, can affect uh, our community, can affect each other. And as Christ states in verse 8, it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to be his witnesses, to do the job that he has commanded us to do. We need the Holy Spirit. So without the disciples receiving that Holy Spirit, he wanted them to stay put, to hold on. It also emphasizes the importance of brothers and sisters in Christ remaining together in close proximity. The reason we gather here in church every Sunday is so that we can do those things that that Christ himself says are important, that we can congregate. That's why we're called a congregation. So that we can come together as one to pray for each other, to encourage one another, to support one one another, to provide for the needs of one another. And so, you know, it is important here that, 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 we, that the church stays in close proximity. What it does not mean, and what it does not say, and oftentimes this is confused, is that the disciples should sit on their hands and not do anything. Oftentimes we hear that word wait, and we're like, okay, i got to wait. I'm waiting, waiting. Waiting for, for the power of the Holy Spirit, for, for the Holy Spirit to come about us, doesn't mean that we have to sit on our hands and do nothing. It just means that, you know, we're waiting for this power, we're staying where we are, but we can still do things that, 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 that God opens up to us. The first principle here in, is... is In clearly understanding God's commands, the church can prepare for action. Because waiting, as I said before, doesn't mean sitting on our hands. Waiting can mean preparing. Waiting can mean getting our hearts right, our minds right, our understanding right. Putting things into place so that when God does open that door, so that God does empower us with the the Holy Spirit, They are ready for action. So waiting by no means 
means to sit on your hands. It, it's more of a, of a preparation time. Oftentimes what will happen is the body of believers will receive a clear direction as to the will of God, but when an obstacle arises, will abandon all hope of ever reaching that goal instead of seeking new avenues to fulfill God's will. Imagine what would have happened if Peter and the rest of the apostles had said, well, that's it. We don't have 12 apostles. We're missing one. Judas went and hung himself, and then he fell into that field, and guts got spilled all over the place, and now nobody uses that field. It's bad. So we're short one, don't have a team, we can't do anything. That's not what Peter did. Peter understood Christ's plan. He understood what Christ's objective was. And he took action to ensure its success. So waiting, although it means wait for that empowerment, it doesn't mean you can't prepare for the actual empowering. And oftentimes churches, as they begin their ministries, you know, Half the time, they, they, they have this, this false start or this false, you know, the, the, they, they can't get off the ground because they haven't done the prep work that is necessary for when the Holy Spirit empowers them to do the job that they need to do. Secondly is be of one mind. Be of one mind. The second principle, unity of mind is paramount to the church's ability to be used by God. It is paramount. It is absolutely a necessity that the church, the church local and the church united, the church um, universal, be united in one mind. Verse 14 tells us that these all with one mind. So all of these individuals who came together after seeing, after Christ ascended into heaven, and after watching him go, they all came together, they all joined together in the upper room, but they just didn't stand around and, join, and then argue about what they were going to do next. No, they discussed it, they prayed about it, and they came to, to one mind. They were united in purpose. Christ, in John chapter 17, pleads for his church to be of one mind. John 17, 20 through 23 reads, I do not pray for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. He's talking about us. Because he's, he does it, it, stays, it says right there, I do not pray for these only, meaning the disciples, but also for those who believe in me, Christ Jesus, through their word. Well, the disciples and the apostles wrote down the scripture, the Bible. We've read it. Other people have read it. They've preached it to us. We heard that. We have believed through their word. So he's talking to the church today. And the thing he's saying is that they may all be one. Even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that 
the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them even as thou hast loved me. Christ tells us in that very passage that the unity throughout the church is one of the most important and effective means of testifying to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without that unity, we are greatly impaired. The more that the church loses its unity, the more the church loses its ability to be an effective witness for Christ. Paul writes in Philippians, Philippians 1.27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you stand firm in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Because it's not only important that we, that we prepare, and, and part of this preparation uh, for the Holy Spirit, for the empowering of the Holy Spirit, is this, is this getting everybody on the same page. Having a focus, knowing our purpose, seeing the goal, understanding the vision. If, if everybody doesn't see that, if everybody doesn't understand that, the Holy Spirit will empower them and, and, and they'll all be running around doing things and, 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 and nothing will be, you know, they'll, everybody will do, oh, we've got to do this, and we've got to do this, and we come up with all, these, with, with all these programs, with all these plans, with all these different committees and all this stuff, and we never actually get to doing what Christ has called us to do. I see so many churches like that and conferences that, 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 that have all of these different things going on and everybody thinks they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and yet there's no focus, there's no, there's, no, there's no understanding of the goal and purpose to what Christ has called them. They're just being busy to be busy. It is so important, it is imperative that we, the church, be of one mind so that so that as we are empowered through the Holy Spirit, we can focus that power like a laser beam. And, we, and in that way, we can, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? Amen. So we ask ourselves, can that be said of the church today? Are we focused? Are we united? A third principle, and we see it here as we read, as we read here, in verse, uh, as we continue in verse 14, it says, They all continued with one accord or in one mind, but they all continued with one mind in what? In prayer. In prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with, his, and with his brothers. I mean, that's a big thing, because back in the day, men didn't pray with women. That was a no-no. The women were on their side of the their side of the thing, the temple, wherever, they were doing their thing, and the men were over here doing, our, doing their thing. But the very fact that he says that they came all together and that they prayed together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, and, and, and don't, don't overlook that because that's a big thing. It, 
that's how important it's, you can't you can't get into these clicks or you can't think that oh the praying part it, we're going to leave that up to the elders and to the pastors we're going to leave that up no each one of us here as we are empowered by the holy spirit are given some of us are gifted with the gift of prayer with the gift of petition and we need those individuals and, and oftentimes it's the women who are really the prayer warriors in a church. And so we can't exclude, we can't be exclusive as to who we pray with. We have to come together united, praying, continuing in devotion to prayer. Prayer is imperative for the church. We don't pray often enough. Together, congregationally, we don't pray often enough. We, uh, some people think that we come in and we spend a good five, you know, ten, maybe twenty minutes praying and sharing and, 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 and doing all that. And that's wonderful. But it's just one person up here taking the request and praying. We as a congregation need to pray for each other together here and outside of the church. Ask yourself these questions. How would you describe your prayer life? Where do you do most of your praying? How often do you pray with others? Do you pray with purpose of mind and unity with others? That is the way the disciples here are showing us that we need to pray. We need to pray. If we're, if we're going to have, if we're going to prepare for the Holy Spirit to move in our church and in our lives and in this community, we have to be of one mind and we have to be praying in that mindset for those same things, for those same purposes, for those same goals. Amen? And finally, we need to act according to Scripture. The last principle. When in doubt, turn to the Word of God. When in doubt, turn to the Word of God. Peter all of this stuff is going on. Christ has ascended up into heaven. They're on the run from the, the, the Pharisees and from the Romans and from, you know, basically they're in hiding. And, and they're trying to get, you know, this, this, the, the, the beginnings of this movement of this church, they're trying to figure this all out. And, and, and their leader, Christ Jesus, is no longer there physically with them. So, so they, they can't turn to him and ask, Lord, as they used to do, Lord, what should we do? They can't do that. And so in, in, in the mix of all this chaos and all this, all this confusion, Peter goes back to what he knows is the, is the rock, is, is, is where he can, he can hold on to. He goes back to the scriptures. It says here, And in those days Peter stood up, <coughs> excuse me, in the midst of the disciples and said, Men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled. Excuse me. The scripture had to be fulfilled. 
One of the things Peter understood is that absent of their Lord Christ Jesus, and absent and not yet quite fully you know, uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, not, the one thing that they could always rely on, the one thing that they could always turn to was the Scripture. And I'm sure Christ, Peter, had previously heard Christ speak of Judas. I mean, in, in uh, actually in John, that same uh, verse, John, in that same uh, chapter, John 17, Christ talks about knowing who his betrayer was. He talks about guarding his disciples and only losing one. So Christ knew who that was. And I'm sure Christ, throughout his ministry, alluded to, or, or in conversation, private conversation, you know, I, I can't prove it because it's not recorded in the scriptures. But these verses that, that, that Peter quotes from Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and, no one, and let no one live, it, live in it and let another take his office, I'm sure Peter heard them somewhere else. Or at least it was the Holy Spirit directing him to, to that scripture. God's word is a lamp unto our feet. Amen? The word of Christ is truth, the truth that shows the way. Peter understood the emphasis that Christ put upon being obedient to Scripture. Christ lived it every single day. There was no one that could point a finger at Christ and say, you have not observed this Scripture. You have not held up to this law. He was sinless. He was perfect. He kept every Scripture. He kept every mandate, every law, every command. And so Christ instilled in Peter the importance of that. Christ was so committed to seeing Scripture fulfilled that he gave his very life to ensure its fulfillment. Matthew 26, 53 through 56 reads, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? This is when they're coming to the Garden of Gethsemane and, and they have all the Romans, uh, the, all the soldiers, and they're, they're going to take Christ to arrest him, to bring him before uh, Pilate and, 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 uh, for, his, for his trial so that they can crucify him. And he says, you know, do you think if, if, if God wanted me to, 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 to be free and to, to, to not have to deal with this, that he wouldn't send 12 legions of angels? And believe me, if he sent 12 legions of angels, you would need nuclear bombs to, to even, you know, come against that. And even that wouldn't work. But he goes on to say, but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. 
So Christ knew the goal for him. He knew that he was heading to Calvary. He saw the cross before him. And he understood how important that scripture was that pointed to that cross that must be fulfilled. So much so that he gave his life. So that principle, these principles that the apostle gives us, they give us clear guide to making decisions. First, that we need to clearly understand God's commands to the church so that we can prepare for action. We need to understand what our calling is, what our purpose is, so that we, we as a church can prepare for when God is moving. And God will move. God will move. Secondly, we need to be of one mind of what those purposes and what that plan is. Unity of mind is paramount to the church's ability to be used by God. If we are not of one mind, we cannot be used of God. Thirdly, we need to continue to devote time to prayer. We need to devote time to prayer. And finally, we need to make sure that we are in the Word of God, that we when, when there is a question as to what we are to do, as to how we are to behave, as to what decision we are to make, we need to turn to the Word of God, and as the Bereans did, to, to look through it. Because, I don't know if you realize it yet, you know, Peter talks about fulfilling scriptures in Psalms. We need to look at the scriptures that, that, that Christ gave us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that Paul gives us in, in Romans and Corinthians and all of the other books and in Revelation. We need to look at those scriptures and we need to say, these scriptures will be fulfilled. One of those scriptures is that Christ is coming back for his church. He clearly teaches that. We need to be prepared. We need to be in prayer. We need to be of one mind. All of these things we need to do to, to be obedient to what Christ is calling his church for. I, want to, I, I began this sermon stating that I was going to close in prayer, and I told everyone here that I was going to have someone pray for discernment, someone pray for unity, someone pray for devotion to prayer, and someone pray for a desire to read God's word. They don't have to be long prayers. But I really, why? You know, you can't preach a sermon like this and, and then afterwards just go, okay, everybody go home. You, 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 gotta, you gotta mean it. And I want you to understand that I mean it when the church needs to pray. So I... I'm going to plead with, with, with you, and I know it's uncomfortable and, and, and that uh, you know, we're not used to praying publicly, but I'm going to ask if I could have some volunteers. Will someone volunteer to pray for discernment? I'll, I'll take care of, uh, I'll do unity. Someone here pray for discernment. Thank you. Will someone here pray for prayer, that we will be a church that prays? I've got a volunteer over here. Thank you. 
And will someone finally pray for a desire to be, for the, our church to be in the scriptures, to be obedient to the scriptures, to read and devote time, that we as church members would devote time to reading the scripture, to God's word. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to ask, who is praying for discernment? Would you like to begin? And then we'll, we'll close the service. Uh, after you pray and everyone else prays, I'll then come back and close our, our service, our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing here in this church this day. Father God, you have heard our petitions. You have heard the cries of your people. And so, Lord, we lay our petitions and our hopes and our dreams and our wants and our purposes and our goals and our vision and all that we are. All that we can bring, Lord, we lay this before your feet. And Father God, as we close this service today, we ask for the moving of your Holy Spirit upon each and every one here. For, your, for the moving of your Holy Spirit uh, on, this, on this church and on this community. And Father, we pray that we be used and we, that we be empowered as, as the disciples and the apostles were empowered in that, in that first chapter of Acts, Lord. Uh, we, we ask... Actually, in the second chapter of Acts, Lord, we ask that you empower us in that same way. That you give us that same zeal for, for, for your word, that you unite us in one purpose, that you give us a desire for your word, and, and that we uh, are constantly on our knees, both united as a congregation and individually in our own little prayer closets, Lord. That we would praying for your, for your word, for your kingdom to come. Father, for all of this, I thank you. And Lord, as we leave here today, I pray for your blessings and your peace on each and every person here. Father, I pray this in the precious name of your Son, Christ Jesus. Amen.